Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of Arcadian Vanguard's Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last, and as always, I'm happy to be joined by Mike Mills for another look at Mid-South Wrestling, this time the episode from March 6th, 1982. Mike, another good week of Mid-South Wrestling here. Bill Watts is back in the co-host chair this week. Bill Watts is back, and he's better than ever, if I can use that phrase. He's he's on a roll, Brian. He's he's cutting loose, man. I think he was trying to make up for last week. Uh, what were your thoughts there? I didn't think he was that crazy. I mean, he didn't mention Katsavulis the Welcher once. Not once. And he didn't really go off on any, like, venting. Like, Bill Watts, to me, at his peak, would just, like, in the middle of a match, vent about something that has nothing to do with the match. Traffic, roads. You know, taxes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Russians. Too. <laughs> Russians. Yeah, I guess what it was was I missed him last week, so it just felt like more. And it was such a guess clash in styles between him and Dusty. If Dusty even had a style, but it was it was just different. And it was it was let me say it was nice to have the cowboy back in the chair with Boyd. Well, one of the things he brings to that chair is he's the great explainer. Bill Watts has this tendency to be able to explain and rationalize everything that happens on Mid-South. And there's a reason for that, because he legitimately set out that even though wrestling's predetermined, that his promotion was going to act like it was real and real things have real rules. So when you see a baby face or a heel as the special commentator, what's to prevent them from getting involved in the match? Well, we find out here because Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce recap what happened last week, Mike. And last week, of course, Dusty Rhodes was the guest commentator, and he had a little bit of an altercation at the end of the program with Bob Roop. Yeah, he had an altercation, and it leads into Boyd and Bill basically at the very Bill Watts at the very beginning of this week's episode addressing it. And I know they kind of I know Boyd mentioned it last week. He talked about the potential of a fine, and I can't quite remember if he did guarantee there would be one. But this week they cut straight to the chase. They're not waiting to get into this later on in the episode. Right now, off the top, as they introduce the show and mention the, the matches that are going to take place, Boyd and Bill Watts are all right. Here's what's going on, and they lay they lay it down. What what happened with Dusty last week, and what's going to happen to him now remember early on in this series of shows we've done here mike we talked about the fact that bill watts explained it why do you want to win your match because you make more money and once again here if you're a commentator why don't you want to get involved because it will cost you it'll cost you money let's go right here to the opening of this show i'm your host boyd pierce and matchmaker grizzly smith assigned another outstanding card our guest commentator the always welcome cowboy bill watts bill before we get into the card this week now, you know me and I know you, but one of the saddest things that's ever happened to me in many, many years was last week, Dusty Rhodes' The American Dream was my guest commentator. Not only that I asked him, but also a lot of the fans had asked me sometimes when he was available to be my guest commentator. But the interview is Bob Roop came over and interviewed, and he had something to say to me, and then he had something as he baited and challenged Dusty Rhodes. I tried to get Dusty not to go. You know the rules. You've been guest commentator a long time, and you know everybody saw what happened. I tried to keep him away, but Dusty, the competitor, burning inside of him, wouldn't listen, and, of course, he has to suffer the consequences, and you know what that is. Well, that's true, Boyd, and I did witness it, and I witnessed the replay of the uh, film, as we will show everybody here. Uh, Dusty Rhodes was fined $2,500 by Mid-South because of his leaving as a guest commentator and entering the action out there. And, of course, it is a... It almost seems like an unjust penalty at the time because Dusty was baited by Bob Root. But also, Dusty knows the rules and regulations. And 
He didn't have to leave this desk. Bob Roop didn't physically take him and throw him out there, or else Bob Roop would have been fine. And with everything that's going on, and, and it's a tough sport, it's a contact sport, there has to be lines drawn and rules and regulations laid down and enforced. And, and Dusty is just a victim of it. But also, if a superstar, an international superstar like Dusty Rhodes, can be forced to pay a $2,500 fine, which Dusty has already paid, then it means that everybody can be under the same system of justice and the same system of rules and regulations. And let's relive right now. Let's watch what happened last week, Boyd, and we will all see that you did try to stop Dusty from entering that fracas. Of course, that incident, as Boyd said, was one of the saddest days of his life or whatever he said. I mean, it seems a bit drastic for Dusty Rhodes getting into a fight with Bob Roop and Paul Orndorff. But again, Mike, I love the idea that Bill Watts sets it up so that if you're a fan of wrestling and someone says, oh, yeah, well, why didn't the guy jump in the ring? You could actually have a defense. Everything has a rationale. And it isn't just Dusty's find for getting involved when he's the guest commentator. But it's also now we know if you go over there and get physically involved with the commentator, you'll get fined as well. So everything makes sense. You know that you have a body here in Mid-South Wrestling with rules and regulations. Yeah, it may. I mean, it does. Because like you said, if if you're a... Uh... You know, if you're a talent and you're at the commentator table, you know, and people will say that. I mean, because I can remember hearing that back in the day. Why didn't such and such help out? Well, that's why, because he'd be fined $2,500. And I can't remember if we mentioned this last week or in the past when we've mentioned fines. But $2,500 back then in March of 82 equates to a little over $6,500 now in December of 2017. So it just, just kind of throwing it out there. So we're talking big money. I mean, 2,500 is a lot today. So it's, but by today's money, it would be 6,500. And that's a lot, you know, for Dusty to get up and get involved in this. And I agree. Watts explained it. He laid it out. He told them why they shouldn't do that. And I thought that was a positive thing there at the very opening of the show, because uh, this was one of the big things as we went off air last week. It didn't happen as we went off air. It happened about midway through. But uh, I do recall board a couple of times saying, man, I, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, Dusty lost his cool and it's a shame that he lost his cool. But, you know, he's got to he got he's got to keep his cool. He knows he can't get involved because he'll get a fine. And now we're seeing the uh, the fallout from that. 2500 is a lot of money for the time, but it's also not a crazy amount. You know, it would have been crazy if Bill Watts said, and Dusty's been fined $100,000 or, you know, even $10,000. 2500 seems like, oh, wow, they really did fine him there. So it's a good amount. And they return to this story, to explaining everything that's going on after the recap. And of course, like we talked about before last week, Dusty was commentator, got goaded into fighting Roop. Orndorf attacked him, ended up with a big fight on the floor. And here's Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce on the other side of that recap highlight film. So as you saw again, Dusty Rhodes not only uh, was injured pride-wise and physically, but he has also had to pay a $2,500 fine for breaking the rules and regulations. But, you know, uh, one thing I've known about Dusty Rhodes a long time, Boyd, and you have too, is, is you know, any superstar or anybody in, in wrestling, sometimes they need something that motivates them, something they can focus in on. And I'll guarantee you, when you're $2,500 lighter and you... Watch back on the film when the, because Dusty wanted to see exactly what happened and see why, and he was shown this film clip. It gives you a lot of motivation, and I just say, Bob Roop and Paul Orndorff, don't turn your back on Dusty Rhodes. He'll be coming around the corner. Dusty's paid, and somebody else will pay, and we'll be back right after this word from Mid South Wrestling Television Network. You know, again, they're setting it up. <laughs> Everything's a setup for what's coming next. 
Yeah, I like that because they don't really say what's going to happen. But, you know, watch right there is like, hey, you know, I, Orndorf, Roop, I wouldn't turn your back. I mean, Dusty just had to pay this fine for getting involved. But just, uh, you know, keep your eyes open. Keep your head on a swivel. He's basically warning them right there because what you did was wrong. But Dusty might be down, but he's definitely not out uh, just because he had to pay this fine. And I like that. Uh, it, it leaves things open and it leaves things for us to imagine. OK, what happens next? That's the entire opening segment, no match, and we come out of that for the second segment on the show, and again, we're not going to have a match in the Irish McNeil's Boys Club. Instead, Bill Watts is going to talk a little bit about the Junkyard Dog missing a match on February 23rd, 1982 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, due to an illness that his daughter had. You know, I don't know if the illness was real or not, and I'm not doubting it for that reason. I'm just saying the daughter they're referencing would, of course, be the child that was born when the JYD was blinded and he couldn't see his baby and the fans, you know, went crazy and hated the Freebirds. And I believe it would also be the same daughter who was at the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony at WrestleMania 20 in 2004 and accepted the award on behalf of her father. I think that would be the daughter they're talking about. I would assume that would be the case as well because um, I, I I I hadn't thought it uh, I hadn't thought that it could be anyone else. So I'm assuming that's who they're talking about too. And let's go to this clip right now of Bill Watts talking about that right here. Well, boy, many times title matches are booked far in advance, and of course, if one member or the other doesn't show up, somebody has to substitute. The matchmaker Grizzly Smith and the promoter in the town generally get together and try to keep. The title situation and the match going on are oftentimes a champion has been defeated and, and, and the title has changed hands. But no matter what, when the fans pay their money to come see Mid-South Wrestling, they get their money's worth because there's a match there, a championship caliber match. Well, this happened February the 23rd in Baton Rouge Centerplex due to an illness in the Junkyard Dog's family where his young daughter was in the hospital with pneumonia. He flew to North Carolina to be with the family. That crisis, anybody that knows the dog, he can understand because he has lost one child due to a serious illness in the past. Even if he hadn't, he'd, he would be with his family. But Grizzly Smith and Jimmy Kilshaw at the Centerplex in Baton Rouge asked Dusty Rhodes to take the junkyard dog's place. And Dusty joined with his old teammate, Dick Murdoch, in a no-disqualification match for the Mid-South Tag Team titles against Offen Seekin. And let's join the final moments of that no-disqualification match in progress in the Baton Rouge Centerplex. And then they go to this arena footage of the Samoans against Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes, who famously had been the Texas Outlaws. And funny enough, Mike, I actually own the master 16-millimeter film of this match. So I've seen this match many times. I had it converted many years ago. And here it is. They air it on TV to explain why the Junkyard Dog wasn't there. But also, there's an injury angle that happens here with Dick Murdoch. Yeah, and... Okay, so you told me pre-show about that you had this footage, and I just was, like, amazed because, I mean, I know a bunch of this stuff is out there, and I know you've got a lot of footage that a lot of people just don't have footage of at this point related to Mid-South, and I felt that was pretty amazing, man, because I can always remember when they would show footage like this from from whether it was the Centriplex or anywhere else. I mean, they they, they would, it depended on where they were, there were times when they would air these things instead of, uh, instead of matches always from the, from the, boys club but this is some pretty good footage i mean because you got murdoch and dusty here and it's just a that's a big deal in itself versus the wild samoans i thought 
this was a this was a good match. The other thing I wanted to say about this footage too is Watts says during the match that the footage was shot by Greg Soley, son of Gordon Soley. Yeah. Did you happen to catch that, Brian? I did catch that. Uh, I don't know too much more about that, but I'm going to ask around because I know some friends of Greg Soley. I'll see what I can find out. Yeah, I just it caught my you know it piqued my my mind there. It's like caught my attention. I'm like, oh okay, well, that's pretty cool. So anybody who's got this footage just floating around like like you do. You know, hey, they they they're in possession of something that Greg Soley, son of Gordon Soley, shot. I don't know. Just seems like cool for something cool for a wrestling nerd such as myself. <laughs> Definitely something cool, a little interesting information about a specific little artifact. But there's some interesting stuff here. Of course, the version I have is no commentary. This does have commentary. It has a very subdued Bill Watts, clearly in a studio, relaxed, talking about what's happening here. And there's a few clips we're going to play from this match, Mike. Yeah, like one of the clips he's talking about the Samoans, they're not innocent islanders, but they are rugged, devious individuals that may hold a crutch grudge against any against any of us. I kinda laugh I laugh every time Watts talks about the Samoans. I mean, you gotta give him credit. We can see that the Samoans are quote unquote wild looking, at least in mid south, and they are the wild Samoans, but when you when you hear Watts kind of go over the top with it, I mean, I remember as a kid going, Man, they look vicious, man. I wouldn't want to run into them in the street or in an alley. So that's that's one of the clips. Uh, I don't know uh, in what order you want to play them, but that was the first one that caught my attention. Well, let's play that one right now. To Rhodes, you can see our offense are an awesome team. And people sometimes maybe think that, that they're innocent islanders and they're not the devious ones. But you've got to recall that when Akbar gained their contract, and they were involved in injuring Ernie Ladd and injuring Mike George. You've got to also realize that they were the ones that instituted the alliance between themselves and Akbar, and they are the ones that double-crossed Ernie Ladd, their manager, the man who had brought them to the heights in professional wrestling. So these are not innocent islanders. These are very savage, primitive, rugged, devious individuals. Whether they hold a grudge against the athletes in the United States for what's happened years past in their islands, who knows? But we do know that they're on a a vendetta up here, and they're an awesome team. They're brothers. They, 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 they've been together. And Murdoch and Rhodes wrestled and were one time one of the most rugged tag teams in the nation, in the world. But they've become such great individual stars, they haven't got the team as often. So their timing is a little bit off as a team, but you still see that they're out there controlling this match, and they're, they're attempting to take the Mid-South tag titles. And certainly, as you see, action starting to happen right here. Murdoch, here's where it breaks down. Well, let me stop it there before it breaks down, just to go over that little bit there. You know, the Wild Samoans, if you grew up watching them in the WWE, Mike, you were used to them being portrayed as these wild savages that were being taken advantage of by Captain Lou Albano. Because what rational person would sign Captain Lou Albano to manage them? But in Mid-South, what Watts is saying here is the exact opposite. These aren't these hapless islanders. These guys are the shrewd, devious ones. These guys are the ones who decided to turn on Ernie Ladd, not that Akbar had to do anything to convince them. Yeah, it, it, I think you laughed at one point at me when I made mention. I was like, man, I thought these guys were going to eat me. But, you know, as kids, at you know, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even seven years old when this is airing and I'm watching it for the first time. And you see these guys and the way Watts talks about them, in your mind, you envision them as real savages because you're only six years old, so your imagination just runs wild on you that they can really rip your head off and they're cannibals. And you 
it, it it's really you at that point. And so when Watts talks about them being rugged, devious individuals and, you know, savages, it really meant something. Uh, even today, you know, you watch them and I, I mean, they sold the gimmick. Well, I mean, you, you would have thought they couldn't talk and they were vicious and they were going to take your head off. And, you know, credit Watts for a lot of that on commentary and then them too. And the way they worked in the ring. Well, let's pick this up now from where we left it off, Mike. We're going to hear the finish of this match. One thing to point out, you and I have discussed this. The one-man gang, or Crusher Broomfield, whatever you want to call him, debuted a few weeks back, injured Ernie Ladd, jumped on his leg. He's been mentioned several times since, but they've called him, I believe, the one-man army. They've said Akbar has this one-man gang, but we don't know who he is. Once again, pay attention as Bill Watts recaps the end of this match to hear how they address the one-man gang who is still a relative newcomer to Mid-South Wrestling. Man coming in and grabbing Dusty Rhodes' leg. Paul Orndorff, who Dusty had soundly defeated before. Murdoch with his brain buster, taught by killer Carl Cox. They've got the match won. He doesn't know Dusty Rhodes is outside getting hammered by Paul Orndorff and the Samoan. The referee's with him, and there you see the one-man gang. The man who struck Ernie Ladd and injured him to where he had to have knee surgery and is presently out of wrestling. The huge man under the control of Akbar, the man whose name has not been revealed. And Dick Murdoch lost the fall. This is a no disqualification match. The winner of the Samoans, they retained the Mid-South tag titles. Orndorff came in like a sneak attack from behind, like Pearl Harbor from behind on Dusty Rhodes. And you see the carnage and the and the injuries. And, and, and Dick Murdoch at this point, we learned later, had received broken ribs and is unable to wrestle at this time. There you see the huge 455-pound one-man gang. So there's an awesome... There you can see Lightning, the timekeeper there for Jimmy Kilshaw and Baton Rouge. You see an awesome force seemingly to unite in Mid-South Wrestling to, to control it and to, and to injure anybody gets in the way. That could have been the junkyard dog had not that fateful illness happened to his family. And certainly he knows that he was targeted and that Dick Murdoch received what was planned for him because there was a no disqualification. Akbar had brought the one-man gang, and of course Orndorff's ego played a part in that he attacked Dusty Rhodes and the mass confusion. Akbar saw the time to strike and signaled his man. And Dick Murdoch is out of wrestling, as is Ernie Ladd, as is Mike George. And there you see Brian Blair and Frank Motti, the referees helping Dick Murdoch to the dressing room. Well, my father always used to say that even if you corner a rat, if it's cornered and has no way to go, he's dangerous. And without a doubt, General Skandar Akbar is a dangerous man, a scheming man. As we just saw again, and fate probably saved the junkyard dog. And Dusty taking his place. Dick Murdoch became the focal point, and Dick Murdoch is now out of wrestling. That makes three men to their credit. Lad by the one-man gang, Mike George by Afonseca, and now Dick Murdoch, the king of the rednecks. So it's getting tough, Boyd, and Skandar Akbar is trying to completely control everything in Mid-South. There's only three titles he's lacking, the North American, the Mississippi, and the Louisiana. And I'm sure with that one-man gang, he has plans for the people in those title positions. And we'll return right after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Okay, good. At least Boyd got something in there at the end. But (laughs) It makes me wonder if something was really going on with the dog's daughter. Because, I mean, you know, you just didn't miss a date in Mid-South at that time. So I wonder, you know, what there was there or if they or if they purposely did something where, you know, they dog actually was there. But because they wanted to tie in Murdoch and Dusty and instead of injuring the dog here, 
they injure Murdoch and, you know, Lad's already been injured. Mike George has been injured. It made so, no sense to injure the dog at this point. Uh, so I wonder if that was the case, but it definitely interesting stuff. And, you know, according to what we hear on the copy here, Murdoch is now injured and we don't hear anything else. So I thought that was interesting, but I think you got may have something else for us too. I do, and, and I haven't checked my calendar here, but I'm going to guess Murdoch had a trip to Japan or maybe just a mm-hmm. run in another territory. But for the record, the show we were just talking about was February 23rd, 1982 in Baton Rouge. The show I have a record of two days before in Lake Charles, Louisiana, the Junkyard Dog defeated Paul Orndorff. And then three days after that show on the 23rd, Shreveport, Louisiana at the Municipal Auditorium, again, I have a record of at least a match being listed of the JYD and Mr. Olympia versus the Wild Samoans in a Texas Tornado match, but I do not have a result, so I don't know for sure if he did or did not make that date. But you mentioned I have something, and Mike, when I went back and watched this episode, it hit me that I own the master tape of this. And one of the other things on the master tape were some locker room promos from Dick Murdoch, and obviously these weren't used. You hear them reference that Murdoch's injured, and he's gone. Now, he will return later in 1982, but I wonder what the original plans were, because I have two interviews with Dick Murdoch. I'll play the second one, and the reason I'll only play the second one is it's basically a redo of the first one, but with better lighting. So they intended to air this, they just didn't. And this isn't really as much about Murdoch being gone as it is about the reuniting of the Texas Outlaws. And to the best of my knowledge, this wasn't used on TV, Mike, but let's listen to this promo right now. You know, I, I just really don't feel like sitting up here and talking at this time of night and with the pain and agony that I'm in. I've just got examined. I've been to the doctor and I've got busted ribs and I'm going to be out for a while. But I'll guarantee you one thing, Akbar. I'm not dead and I'm not ruined out of professional wrestling. I will be back. And I want to say one thing. You've done something that the promoters, not only the United, the United States have done, or wanted to do or the promoters in the world and that's re- reunite the Texas Outlaws the originals for one last hoorah and you've just done it brother you just reunited Rhodes and Murdoch and I'll guarantee you one thing those two big fellas that you've got the Samoans who that Orndorff or whoever that fellow was that 500 pounder that smushed me and busted my ribs and put me out to where I'm going to sit in a rocking chair for a couple months we're going to get him we're going to find out who he is and I'll guarantee you one thing Agbar we're going to do like Dusty's dad, Virgil, and my daddy, O'Hoyt, told us when we were kids when we were going to West Texas State University. And that's when somebody did something to you. Don't get mad. Get even. And I'll guarantee you one thing. When we get even, we're going to go way out on a limb and we're going to get way ahead. I promise you that. Well, damn, Brian, that was some good stuff that I've never heard before. And I'm proud to say that. Yeah, you know, I, they probably didn't air it because it's not a good idea for the injured babyface to say that the heel smushed him. I don't know if smush is the right word I would use there. <laughs> but other than that, you hear what I was saying, though, before. I mean, it kind of teases to the idea of him and Rhodes getting back together to take on Akbar and the Samoans. And to the best of my knowledge, that did not happen. Yeah, that kind of just goes to show you, too, how much stuff like this, because you know this is not the only instance where this happens, how much stuff like that happened that never came to be. Because it, because of timing, you know, it just it just wasn't meant to be. And they never circled back and got back to it. So I, it's amazing when you think about that. How many how many you wonder about that? You know, that's probably a question. That's probably a great question for for Cornette sometime. Like how much stuff actually, you know, was shot that never came to fruition that 
may have been a great idea. We just never saw it. Like, cause I, I, that's what immediately comes to my mind when I see something like this, that never happens. It is a good question. And again, this promo that we just played, it was the second one shot that night. The first one was shot. It was almost word for word, the exact same thing leading to the exact same thing, but it was darker. So they made him reshoot it in better lighting and then it didn't air. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, they had all intentions from what we gather to air this and play it out, but it just didn't happen. And what we have is what we have on the network. And that's the copy of Mid-South that will live on in history at this point. Well, going into the next clip, what they set up here, Mike, is the idea that this one man gang, that's not officially his name yet, although it really quickly is becoming that, has injured everyone. He injured Mike George, former Mid-South Tag Team title holder, injured Ernie Ladd, who was managing the Samoans, and now has injured Dick Murdoch. Well, this leads into the return of Ernie Ladd, an interview with Reese Bowden, and you hear the crowd kind of trying to figure out how to react at first, because Ernie had been a strong heel for a while, but now he's clearly in the babyface camp. Or at least, not that he's in the babyface camp, but he himself is maybe now more clearly a babyface. But let's listen to this clip now of Reeser and Ernie Ladd. Cowboy Bill Watts was telling you earlier about the injuries that's been suffered right here on television and in the arenas. And Ernie, the big cat lad, on February the 3rd, right here on television, was injured by a one-man gang. He underwent surgery in Columbus, Georgia. And Reeser Bowden talked to him about what happened. This is the first time since then, so let's listen to Ernie Ladd's interview right now. Well, Ernie, I was here when a very brutal attack took place, and I know that all of the fans were just as appalled as I was. Risa, let me say one thing. You know, what has happened has happened. But I can assure you one thing. A feist, the smallest dog that I know, will fight in his own backyard. This is my backyard. You know, I've been hurt in pro football. Yes, I've been operated on. I've been hurt as a professional wrestler. But nobody puts Ernie Ladd out, down and out. You know, they say every dog has his own day. Akbar's had his day. The Samoans, I took them when they was hungry. I fed them. And look what happened to Ernie. Let me show you something, Rich, and then I'm going to talk about this thing. Just step back for a second. This is a cast. And I just wish that I could take it off and let them show you the show you the incisions that they've made on my leg. I went to the same doctor that Paul Ellery went to in Columbus, Georgia. They took films of it and showed me in the operating room and whatever. And if, if, if Mid-South would permit me one day, I'll show my operation right on national TV. And I'm really fed up right to here. And don't by no faith of the imagination, don't you think this is the end of Ernie Ladd? Don't you think that I will tuck my tail and I'll run like a coward? Coward, I'm not. I might have been a backstabber here and a backstabber there, but coward, I am not. And don't you ever forget that, Risa. You and nobody else can ever accuse me of being a coward. But I'm just going to get the record straight right now. I'm going to do a little research. I'm going to go back in. How do you predict the future but other, but other than by the past? So, But I'm going back into the, in the past and dig out and find a few people that I know that's qualified to join alliances with Ernie Ladd. And go, when you want a job done, a job well done, you go ahead and do it yourself. I don't care how, who I fight and how many I fight, but I just want the right weapons when I fight. Ernie Ladd is on a hunting trip. Watch for him. Well, Boyd Pierce, Ernie Ladd is definitely a force to be reckoned with at 6'9", 320. 
But as big as he is, he's only as good as his legs are. That's the old saying in pro sports, you're only as good as your wheels are. So time will have to see if they heal properly after the surgery. But we can see, again, that Skandar Akbar, with his influence of terror, is trying to really take it to the junkyard dog. He's trying to isolate the dog right now and put him in jeopardy as we watch the dog and Brian Blair against Offensica in a match that was here a couple of weeks ago. Well, now they're going to go recap this, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, Mike, I could listen to Ernie Ladd read the phone book. I wish he did audio books before he passed away. He's so entertaining. And this isn't like amped up screaming Ernie Ladd. This is just casual voice. Sounds like a cool Morgan Freeman. Yeah, he's. I always say, like, right here, he's just matter of fact. You know, he's he's laying it out. I mean, you can't see it as you're listening to this, but he kicks his leg up on the ring apron, shows uh, Reese or Bowden the, the stitches or the cut, the incision that it took uh, – supposedly when he had his surgery and the crowd is real quiet. I mean, they generally were during these segments though, in, in the Irish boys club. But I just think that the great part about Ernie Ladd is even, even in an instance like this, because he's done so much wrong, people are still there. Like the crowd is still apprehensive about whether to get behind him or not, even though they know he's been done wrong here based on, you know, one man gang splashing him off the second rope or top rope and coming down on his knee. But at the same time, like you said, he sounds so smooth and he's just walking the line. He's, he's, I'm not a coward. You know, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to run. I can't, I can't do it all the way, but I could always listen to Ernie Ladd promos. He wasn't always like the greatest, but he was really good uh, in Mid-South. And uh, there you go. I mean, it's on display there. You know, we need to see what's going to happen to him. You know, how soon is he going to come back? I mean, that seems like a pretty serious knee injury. We still don't know that at this point, you know. So they're leaving the door open right now as to when he will return. But we know he's not a coward and we know he's not going to back down. And they're setting up what will be coming next, which is Ernie Ladd bringing in people to get revenge, bring in someone to team with him to get revenge against Akbar and the Samoans. And this is going to lead to some really, really great television in the weeks ahead. And we look forward to talking about that once it airs. But as we mentioned, I do a recap of the Samoans versus the Junkyard Dog and Brian Blair from the previous week where Mr. Olympia saved the Junkyard Dog. We recapped it last week, but anything you want to add to that, Mike? I'm so glad you asked me that because I'm watching it again and with all the chaos that went on at the end of this match with the Samoans, Blair, and JYD, I watched the old guy with the cowboy hat on the left side in the front row. That old man didn't move the whole time. The fans are going nuts, as they always do whenever something's going on with the dog in these tapings. But he's sitting there with his cigarette cowboy hat, kind of leaned over, just looking in glasses. And he's not moving. He doesn't budge. I'm like, dude, do you have a heart rhythm? It's just the most amazing thing to watch. And I'll go back. I've seen this a bunch of time on on Twitter lately. Wrestling needs old people again. We need to have the old people in the front row. There's not. There's something great about an old granny in the front row giving the wrestlers the business. And I just I miss that about wrestling. That's the you know whenever you watch Raw nowadays or SmackDown, you'll never see that anymore. You never see the old granny in the front row who's giving the the, the wrestlers the business. So I'm glad you threw it to me. Cowboy hat guy is still there. He ain't moving this time. Now I know. I think it was last week we talked about that he actually did speak to the woman to the left of him, but right here i was just reminded that he doesn't speak or move much i wonder if he comes with these women because on this week's episode at first i thought cowboy hat man wasn't here because i didn't see him in his usual spot but he's actually sitting behind the turnbuckle a worse seat than he's used to and the four old women 
one of whom is very recognizable and the other ones you get used to, they're all there. I wonder if they just all come together. <laughs> and I wonder what his reaction was this time where he didn't get his usual seat. But yeah, the, the, front, row, <laughs> the front row is old women and teenage girls. You don't see that. No, I mean, look, I'm not, and this is, uh, look, I don't want this to sound like I'm attacking, like, I watch ROH a lot. It's actually the only current product that I still actually watch on a regular, and and, and you'll probably be like, why do you watch that? Well, trust me, there's there's things I like about it, uh, but uh, it's it's not the, the flippy stuff. But it, the thing is, I point that out because you don't see old ladies in the front row. You don't see old men. You see young guys or guys maybe around our age. And you're right. It's just, it's so different. And in this age, or at least where we're watching in Shreveport, you got old ladies and teenage girls. It's the, and one old man. And that's it. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's probably, you got guys in their twenties too, and they're, they're up in the bleachers, but I don't know, man. It's just fascinating to watch the crowd during these times and the way they react and, and whatnot. Aren't a lot of t-shirts. You know, you see a lot of plaid, you see a lot of people with button-up shirts, you see cowboy hats, you see trucker hats. Right, trucker hats. There's lots of trucker hats, Brian. Yeah, but you don't see t- <laughs> but you don't see people wearing t-shirts usually, for the most part. Well, there's a guy who's going to have a Dr. X shirt, well, yeah. I think, <laughs> when we get to like 84. 84, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see him. But you're right, you don't see a lot of t-shirts. Now, at this point, 82, I don't really know how many t-shirts there really were either though that's the other side of it i mean w- you know who had a t-shirt at that point did anyone well i'm not just saying a wrestling t-shirt i'm saying a t-shirt oh, in general. i'm saying a oh t-shirt. yeah 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 at oh in general a t-shirt no you don't see that i mean uh at this point they're either wearing some type of long sleeve shirt some polo type shirt button-up shirt no t-shirts you're right even the guys with the trucker hats the, the the stupid foam brim or top with the you know you know what i'm talking about those old stupid hats yeah those guys are they got their button-ups on man it's the damnedest thing or their flannels <laughs> i wish audiences had this makeup today mid-south wrestling when you watch these shows the makeup of the audience is just so cool and almost like everyone seems like they're in harmony because they're all just there together to watch the show and i love the fact that you have different races different ages different genders it's really just such a cool thing to see and it's diverse it's as diverse as it comes man it's really diverse and with that said leading into the next match we have the grappler former north american champion as they'll keep reminding us versus the junkyard dog who shows up wearing his belt backwards which was an interesting uh yeah that was interesting this was good this was good i I enjoyed this Uh, did you yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, you know, this is the first match on this show from the studio and uh, – or from the boys club, excuse me. And I thought it was good. And I know we have uh, some audio here from the match to play, Mike. Yeah, sounds good. Let's uh, – let, uh, I don't know if we got it queued up, but I just I just always like like watching the grappler and obviously the junkyard dog. The Ben the grappler. You know the dog always – when you hear him interview, you say, he says, I don't know anything about wrestling. But then when you see him out there in the ring – he must be trying to lull those guys to sleep because he's always improving his skills and his technique, coming up with some real finesse moves. When you've got that much power and strength and heart and have the finesse too, you're an unbeatable combination. Fan said to me the other day, said, Cowboy, said, what's happening with the dog? You know, he's, he seems like he's, he's been struggling. And you guys got guys like Lad, Alpha Sika, Agbar, Paul Orndorff, Bob Root, and the grappler, People of that caliber after you, it is a struggle. You're under a tremendous amount of pressure. But so far, you still see that the Junkyard Dog is the Louisiana champion. 
How about that? How about Watts rationalizing and a JYD actually knows more about wrestling than he's given cre- given credit for? And also, yeah, well, you know, some people think he's struggling, but look at the competition here. And the other thing too, Brian, is the competition is very stiff in Mid South during this time period for obvious reasons. I mean, well, it's stiff throughout much of Mid South. But the other part is, I challenge people, and I'm not trying to say Dog is a you know a, a Mozart at being a, a wrestling technician. So let's put the brakes on that from what I'm about to say. But Dog is a lot better, especially right now in '82, than people will remember him for his in-ring work. He he's this never is the, this be, is his peak actually in ring. Right. I think this is 1982 is really JYD's peak. He can and when I I mean he can go like when you watch him, I've seen him in some long matches where it's just not punches and kick cuz I've heard people go oh all the dog did was punch and kick and headbutt. Nah, no. Go watch 1982 JYD and he's a lot better than people give him credit for. Yeah, 81, 82, and, you know, it's not just Mid-South. I remember seeing the stuff with him and Nick Bockwinkle from Houston, and it's great stuff. So I agree with you, but returning to this match here, let's go and hear a little bit more of the finish of this match. Of course, we all know the grappler, famous for his loaded boot. Well, the JYD has a remedy for that loaded boot. Let's listen to this right now. <laughs> JYD, side play. Again, showing. JYD's going for that boot. He is going for the boot, Bill. He's going for the grappler's boot. He's unlacing it out there. Neely's trying to stop him, but that's like trying to stop a freight train. And a grappler knows he gets that boot. JYD knock his head right off his shoulders with it. He's unlacing that boot. He's got it. He's got it, boy. The jump going dog with the boot of the grappler. Ralph needs. Watch out, watch out, the grappler's got that steel cane. He's got that steel cane. He lost that cane. Oh, Reggie Jackson's going to hit that any harder. Ralph Neely's fed up, and he's not going to call it. He calls it one, two, three, and JYD. And the Louisiana champion, the junkyard dog, a victory over the grappler. You saw how it was won. We'll be back with Killer Carl Cox. Making his return after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Okay, I like that. I like Watts' <laughs> rationale there. That, there's the one part where the rationale falls apart. And Alfred Neely's fed up, so he's not going to call the DQ. Jay White right. hit right in front of the referee, hit the grapple with a cane. And by the way, great stuff when you watch this again and you see the crowd. There's a pretty good close-up of JYD doing it. You get to see the reaction of the teenage girls and of the boys who seem to be around 20 years old in the crowd reacting to the idea he's taking the grappler's boot off they they pop and when he gets it off there's a woman who, a black woman who stands up in the crowd yes. dancing and everyone's so happy and then again he hits the grappler with his cane in front of the referee the referee just doesn't care he still counts to three <laughs> Alfred Neely was like whatever dude you tried to hit him first I'm gonna let him hit you with this thing and it's a metal cane that sucker did not bend he took him. He cracked the grappler right across the back. But I want to go back to what you said. You're you're so right. He's when JYD starts unlacing the boot, they they start coming up like the fans, like oh he's he's about to get the boot off. And when he gets it off, they're cheering. And then there's the lady, the the black lady to the left. She jumps. She erupts. Yeah, he got the boot off. It's like he scored a touchdown. And then there comes a crack with the cane, and uh, Alfred Neely says, yeah, no, no, we're 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 gonna we're gonna let this slide. Grappler loses, and like you said, Watts' philosophy falls apart right there. He just, he just, they let it slide. Oh well. 
foreign object used, but we're good with it. Yeah, just let it go. But uh, our next match here is a return. Someone returning to the area, a legend of Mid-South Wrestling. And it's uh, Bob Orton Jr. versus the returning killer, Carl Cox, a former North American champion, a babyface, a heel. Whatever he did, he was a major star in Mid-South. And this is really the end of his career. This is the last time he would ever return to Mid-South Wrestling. And here he is now. Uh, watch this match on the WWE Network if you want to get a neat thrill. I don't remember what Carl Cox's music was coming to the ring at this time. I remember him coming out to, I don't know what the exact uh, song title would be, Mike, but the Marine, not the Marine hymn, but, you know, you know, a Marine-themed song. Well, on the WWE Network, he comes out to some, like, disco outtake <laughs> that I don't think he came out to anything like that, but I have to find a way to go back and see. Yeah, I don't know. T two things. One, you've already covered with the music that he came out to. Very strange in its own right. Uh, but I, I know we've been keeping an eye on the old man with the cowboy hat. And, yes. you know, you, Brian, <laughs> you, 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 you nailed it uh, also with the, the music we're called Cox. So, but we've been, we've been watching this audience this episode. We, we've actually watched some throughout the series that we're, we're doing so far. Um, I'm watching the old man in the cowboy hat. And so – Killer Call Cox comes out, and we've got the crazy music playing in the background, and he kisses the old lady next to Cowboy Hat Man, and then Cowboy Hat Man shakes Killer Call's hand, which, once again, he moved more right there than we've seen, so... I probably it's a little bit too infatuated with what's going on with the crowd, but no, no, I, I am too. <laughs> I totally am too. And by the way, I'm thinking while this is happening. Cowboy Hat Man, who I, oh, I like to think his name is Hank. Hank, Hank yeah. the Cowboy Hat Man, he must have been watching Carl Cox since his very first match ever in Louisiana. So he's probably been seeing Carl Cox for years. He probably used to go to the KTBS studio. So Carl Cox returns, and it's like, oh, look who's still at ringside with a cigarette in his mouth. It's Cowboy yeah. Hat Man. So I did, think it, did it's kind of cool. Did you see him? Did you see him shake his hand though? Like yeah. he kissed the lady next to. That's the other. He he kiss, He didn't kiss anyone else. He kissed the lady next to the guy with the cowboy hat. Hank. We'll call him Hank from now on. And then he shakes Hank's hand and shake. And Hank is that Shank? <laughs> Hank is acting like he knows him. I mean. And then he keeps going and he gets into the ring and then he, he proceeds to cutting a promo. But I, you know, again, I'm easily amused. You know, what can I say? Carl Cox considered one of the great promos of his time. Let's hear this, his return promo to Mid-South. He's in the ring, his opponent Bob Orton and referee Jack Howe are in there. Reeser Babden holding the microphone. And here is Killer Carl Cox in his military fatigues and his miscolored boots and socks talking to Reeser. You know, I understand that there's been a lot of things going on around here. It's time for a little justice. There's guys getting hurt, getting hurt bad. I'm talking about the likes of Dick Murdoch, Mike George, and some guys that I don't like. I had any clues or any lads. It's time for some justice now. I'm here, and I'm going to make sure we get some justice. There we have it. Bob Orton Jr., you saw the return of wow. Peter Carl Coxbill. You better watch him. He's got a Marine Corps entrenching tool. He's got his fatigues on. Killer Carl Cox is a he's Semper Fi all the way. And the bell haven't been rung as Jack Howe calls for it. Cox on the offensive. I guarantee you he's a rugged, he's proud of being a Marine. When that Marine Corps hymn comes up, he gets attention. 
There they had the music. Here comes the judge. And Cox says he's going to give a little justice. He's not, I don't think he had, Carl Cox has got exactly what you call a full deck. But there's one thing nobody's ever questioned him on, and that's just flat mental toughness, physical toughness. He'll meet you all the way with it. Carl Cox is so super over with this house. It's ridiculous because he's an old man by this point. The old women are going nuts for him during this match. At one point, he rips off his military fatigue jacket and throws it in the crowd. And I swear to God, the teenage girls jump up to grab that jacket and like start like tussling over it until someone <laughs> comes over and tells them they have to give it back. He is so super over. And the match ends, of course, with a brain buster with Carl Cox pinning Bob Orton after the brain buster. But when he gets that brain buster, Mike, the place pops. He is still. That legendary status, he is still super over in Mid-South. Yeah, man, they, they went, I mean, for someone who, I mean, people are going to, if you're watching this back on the network, you'll be like, man, those people are going crazy. That's just killer Carl Cox. And I mean, I guess some people would figure, hey, he's not too big of a name, but you're right, man. They go nuts, man. He, this whole thing was pretty interesting. Cause I mean, the match was like less than two minutes if I timed it out correctly, but just from the start to finish, I mean, the way he's shaking hands with, you know, the old guy kissed the old lady gets in, cuts his promo. Then he's attacked by, you know, Cowboy Orton Jr. And Cox turns and swings that trench digger at Orton. I'm like, Oh my God, he's going to kill him. That's a piece of, that's a heavy piece of metal, but that thing sent uh, Orton real and he didn't hit him with it. He just swung it, swung at him with it. But you're right, man. When he hits, he hits Orton with that brain buster, man. They, they come unglued. It's, you know. No, no, no. It's, it's, not, it's not when he hits him with it. It's as soon as he, like, just hooks his head. As soon as he lifts him up. Right. Yeah. They just, they're I, so happy to see the brain buster again. It's amazing. Yeah, just, um, it's just crazy. I like how, did you hear when Watts pointed out that he's the man, who, Cox is the man who taught Murdoch? Did you hear that part? Yes, yes. Yeah. Him and Murdoch have a long history together as opponents and, of course, on the same side and not just in what would previously be Mid-South, you know, Tri-State Wrestling, Leroy McGurk, but also in Japan. I mean, that was a feud that was in all Japan in the mid-70s, too. In fact, my friend Masahori, who I know a lot of people know of out there, I believe the feud that got him hooked on wrestling was Carl Cox versus Dick Murdoch. That's a heck of a feud, man. That's two. That's two brawlers, dude. That's a. I say brawlers. I mean that in a complimentary way. That's that's two heavy hitters. Did you did you hear Watts there mention in that promo? And I caught it the second time as we were just listening. He said he came out to the song. Uh, here come here comes the judge. Did you catch that? I did catch that. Um, but he also said the Marine Corps hymn, didn't he? Yeah. So it made me wonder. I, I just I sat here and Googled "Here Comes the Judge" real quick and. I've actually got it pulled up, but I was like, huh, I'll have to, you know, I'll have to do some research, man, to see if that's what he came. I don't know. It's, it's, it caught my attention, though, the second time. I caught it the second time around. You know, real quick, Mike, uh, let me play this. This is actually from something that I got in the same batch of stuff, including the Murdoch interview we played earlier, these master films. This is from Japan. This is from December 75. It fits into what we're talking about. It's Dick Murdoch doing a promo in the middle of the ring in all Japan about Carl Cox, about a bull rope match with Carl Cox taking place in tri-state wrestling back in the States. So this is what we're talking about. This is a few years earlier in the same territory. Murdoch filming the promo in Japan for Louisiana and Oklahoma. Let's listen to this right now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tokyo, Japan. This is a message from one of the biggest names in wrestling today, Dick Murdoch. 
Well, thank you, Yoshi. As you people back here at home can see, it's a little cool here. As a matter of fact, it's cold, but things are going to warm up back home. Now, I'm a little out of communication what's going on back there, but I want you to know one thing. Leroy McGurk, have you got that bull rope match sanctioned or not? Because I got one thing in mind. When I come back home, me and Carl Cox are going to warm things up. It's going to be wintertime. It's going to be cold. Snow on the ground. But it's going to be hot in the arenas. And the thing that's going to make it hot is I'm going to juvenate. I'm going to juvenate professional wrestling around there. Carl Cox, I'm not out of action. I'm over here in Japan in a tag team tournament with Dusty Rhodes for the International Tag Team Championship. And I might add it, we're doing just like we did there. We're whipping everybody that's around. So I'm sending this back to you, Cox, and you, Mr. Leroy McGurk. Get a hold of that National Wrestling Alliance and make sure that that match is sanctioned because, Cox, I'm going to whip you with that bull rope and I'm going to ring your bell and then we're going to get down to that North American heavyweight title and it's going to go back on my waist because you are looking at the kingpin of professional wrestling and the people around that part of the United States made it, made me, and I'm not going to let them down and I'm going to be back. And Yoshi, there's one thing that is a country song that it said, Bob Wills, Waylon said it about him. He said, unless you ain't been told to live in Texas, you got to have a low, lot of soul. And I'm going to put that soul on you, Carl Cox. It's called Neolite and Cat's Paw, Daddy. And when I get back there, we're going to let it all out and get down to it. Thank you, Yoshi. What's more Japan than finishing your promo and getting a standing ovation? A very polite applause from everyone in the room. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff, man. When did you say that was again? That is from December 1975, so approximately seven years before what we're watching right now. God, I was a month old when that was cut. Well, like you said, Carl Cox, a mentor to Dick Murdoch and someone who you think of when you think of Dick Murdoch, their careers are very much intertwined and... He returns, and he defeats Bob Orton Jr. with the Brain Buster. And another return in our next match, Mike. It's Iron Mike Sharp versus Don Serrano. And what do you think about this? Well, well I know we got some audio in this thing, but I, I want to say something. Because, like, I remember when Mike Sharp, after this, was in WWF. When we would get, like, uh, the primetime wrestling on cable and... And uh, the Saturday show that would come on on USA when I was a kid, when I would see it when I would buy my when I would go by my aunt and uncle's house, we had cable. And I remember like thinking Mike Sharp when he was in WWF, just being this enhancement talent. But in Mid South, and I don't want to really spoil anything here, but Mike Sharp actually does some things coming up in the next few months that make him more than enhancement talent. I mean, I'm not gonna sit there and tell you he's the top guy in a promotion, but um my memories of Mike Sharp were different than I think your average WWF fan was that only saw him with the uh, forearm brace and the guy, rawr, you know, all the time. So uh, that was my first thought when I saw Mike Sharp here. Uh, what uh, I'm anxious to see your thoughts, because, I mean, you grew up up north and uh, your view on uh, Mike Sharp. Mike Sharp was always like a favorite, I hate to say jobber, but underneath guy for the WWF. But it's easy to forget if you only saw that, that he had been in a good position in Mid-South. He had worked in Memphis. Right. He had worked in Georgia. His previous run in the WWF, 
he was a respectable heel wrestler. He wasn't just an underneath job guy. It's really a shame he was never used better. Uh, but he's used pretty good here. Maybe the best he was ever used in North America for Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah, like I said, and I don't want to spoil anything as far as what's coming. But, yeah, he, he definitely was used. He's used here much different than, I think, a lot of the audience. And maybe not a lot, but, you know, younger the younger generation who maybe is maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years younger than me would remember him from his WWF run later on in the mid '80s. So I, I thought, you know, Mike Sharp ends up winning with an overhead backbreaker, is what I called it. But uh, there was also some some audio here, I think, where you know Watts is tying things in together. What you know, Cox, uh, what just happened, and. Uh, it just uh, and he's and he's talking about uh, Grizzly Smith, uh, you know, brought in some you know new guys. Or I say new, they're not really new, but brought in Cox and Mike Sharp, you know, because hey, freaking Akbar and the Samoans are running roughshod through people. So you know, we've got some people injured, man. We got to bring people in to replenish the ranks, so that we can we can progress things along. Otherwise, everybody's going to be hurt, and we don't have any talent. So there there's some there's some things here that Watts talks about that are really interesting. Absolutely, and let's listen to that audio right now. Boy, Pierce, I'll say one thing for Grizzly Smith, and that's the advantage of having a matchmaker that's had to wrestle for a living. He knows it from both sides now, and when Akbar and his army have started overrunning everybody and just and injuring people, I'm sure Grizzly's been on that phone. That's how Carl Cox came here, and now look, Iron Mike Sharp. Powerful 295 man, probably the best conditioned 295 pound in wrestling today. Former boxer from Canada, a rugged guy. This doesn't happen by accident. Grizzly Smith knows that if he's going to make the matches in the Mid South area, he better have some competition for Scandar Akbar and Offen Seeker. When you take out the likes of Ernie Ladd, 6'9, 320, and hospitalize him, and you hospitalize Mike George, and you hospitalize Dick Murdoch. Better go looking for some double tough hombres. You know, he makes everything make sense. And they, they pound everything into your head, but they don't overdo it. But they're just explaining again, all these guys have been injured. What's the promotion to do? You know, what are the baby face to do? But then what's the promotion to do? You have to book bigger and better wrestlers. Yeah, you know, and he casually mentions it. You know, it's not like it's over the top where he's talking about Cox came in and Mike Sharp came in and, you know, Grizzly Smith had to bring these guys in for some competition. I mean, he's not – it's not like it's – you know, I don't – I can't give you an example from current wrestling, but I think we've all heard the over-the-top announcer who is just trying too hard to make it fit. Watts might not be the greatest, but he's not over the top right here, and he does a good job of just communicating – you know, these guys coming in and why they're coming in. And that's that's what we need right there. Yeah, just gives you all the information. And it's too bad that more wrestling doesn't do that. Instead, you have the guys who have to talk like this. It's the most exciting night here instead of making right. it conversational. You know, if you watch baseball, and I'm a big baseball fan, it's conversational for the majority of the nine innings. It's the two commentators or three commentators talking to each other. And more than likely, if you have good commentators, and the New York Mets do, so I'm lucky, you could sit there and you feel like you get to know the team. Like over the course of a season, you enjoy their banter. But when there's a big moment, when there's a home run or a grand slam or a triple or a major comeback, their voices raise. And it makes you realize, because you're so used to hearing them, that you're supposed to be excited too. And naturally you are. It's a ball game. But it's the same thing with Mid-South Wrestling. It's the same thing with wrestling promos. If you scream every promo, for you know, unless you're you know, one of the special wrestlers who could do that, like Pampero Furpo, eventually people start tuning it out. 
But like Jake Roberts never screamed. Everyone else screamed, so Jake went the other way. And it's the same thing with commentary. All the commentators scream. Watts, when stuff's breaking down, Watts raises his voice. But until that point, he's just explaining to you. He's just there to talk you through the episode. You actually, I've never thought about the baseball analogy, but you hit on something there. I mean, I've watched the Texas Rangers, and that's so true. I'm not going to sit there and tell you their announcers are great, but you're right. They're having a conversation during, over the course of nine innings, and occasionally there's some peaks where, you know, something exciting does happen, and their voices raise up. Other than that, it's a casual discussion as they explain things and, you know, help you get to know the team. It's a real good way of looking at it. And I guess you're right. And wrestling, wrestling probably needs more of that because when you're screaming continuously, the scream means nothing. When you're screaming and you're also just nonstop plugging and you're nonstop talking in other people's words and you don't get to actually have any natural conversation and you have people yelling at you in your headset about what to say. It doesn't work. You need there to be back and forth. You need there to be conversation. I always thought Roddy Piper was so effective with Gordon Soley in Georgia. Now, Roddy was a heel, but Roddy wasn't out there screaming and yelling. I mean, when he got fired up, he did. But on commentary with Gordon Soley, he was very calm. Oh, look at this, Mr. Soley. Very respectful, very calm. But it was effective. You know what I mean? It was effective. You know, Ventura and Vince was effective because Ventura wouldn't be the fool. He wasn't the comedic foil. He was the strongest heel commentator ever, and he would give it back to Vince. But now you just have all these guys, and they're all trained a certain way to talk, which is like a very fake, you get your hands going and you move your hands, always keep your hands in motion while you're talking, and explain to everyone (laughs) that you can go to this website, and it's just, it's, people don't talk like that. You want to feel like you know the people who are broadcasting wrestling. If you grew up in Memphis, and you watched Memphis wrestling, Dave Brown and Lance Russell... It was conversational. Bob Cottle in Mid-Atlantic, conversational. Gordon Soley in Florida, Mid-South Wrestling here. But it's just everyone does it a different way now. And I think at a certain point you have to say, do we do it like this because everyone else is doing it like this? Or should we try to do something different and find someone who could possibly do it different because no one's doing this? And you know what's funny, too, about current? There are some current commentators who don't scream nonstop and, and actually, I think, do a good job. They, they don't. They don't work for the WWE for yeah, the most Yeah, they're part, all unemployed. But... That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are commentators out there who do a good job and describe, and they do what you're saying. Uh, just, you know, I guess we, you know, that's why we got the old stuff that we can relive on or relive off or, or live off of at this point when it comes to wrestling. Well, during this match, and we might as well just give away the finish here, Mike Sharp wins with a backbreaker to, uh, against Don Serrano here. But there's more comments from Bill Watts here in this match, Mike. Yeah, Watts is gonna Watts is gonna start plugging the North American title match that's gonna take place in two weeks, and he talks about Orndorff and DiBiase. I love when Watts mentions here, and you said this earlier in this episode about money, but Watts mentions the title and the money it generates when you're a champion. Let's listen to this clip right now. Two weeks, Grizzly Smith says he's gonna have a North American title match here on Mid South Wrestling, and he hasn't decided yet whether it'll be. Ted DiBiase against Paul Orndorff or against Bob Root. Of course, once and for all, the issue between DiBiase and Paul Orndorff needs to be settled, and Grizzly Smith has been talking about settling it in a steel cage match. I would just say that any town that was lucky enough to get that bout would really be fortunate because that way you could you would have it down man-to-man because so far DiBiase has been troubled with the fact that wherever Paul Orndorff, there was Bob Root or vice versa. 
So I can understand the dilemma of matchmaker Grizzly Smith and also the dilemma of the North American champion is getting it down to one man that he has to face. When you've got these important titles and you have the prestige and the income they make, you're going to attract a crowd because they're going to try to get you any way they can. And the dogs run in packs. Forearms. Don Serrano really hammered. Wow! Mike Sharp, the gentle giant, that shows you just how he can explode. Well, they're, they're kind of setting up what's to come with DiBiase and the North American title, Mike. And, of course, DiBiase's not just feuding with Bob Roop, but he's also feuding with Paul Orndorff, who in many ways has been Bob Roop's protege in terms of learning how to master the counter to the figure four leg lock. Yeah, and they've been kind of – this has been – this has been there for a few months now, so this is nothing new. The Orndorff DiBiase thing—they've been, they've been teasing at this and talking about this for a while, so nothing new there. But yeah, I mean, it, we've got a, we got a couple of different ways we can still go. But at the, at the end of the day, remember what Watts says: the title generates money, and the whole, the whole idea is to make more money. So the champ does that. Our next match here, the last match on this week's show, is Jesse Barr, who's making a return after an injury. Versus Jesse Tanner, an underneath guy I'm not too familiar with. This may have been the first time I've ever seen him. Uh, not much to say about the match. Jesse Barr wins with a belly-to-back suplex. They really put Jesse Barr over as an amateur wrestler, say that, you know, maybe he's someone who down the line can go up against Bob Roop, considering their athletic backgrounds. But once again, Mike, during this match, Bill Watts returns to that subject of the previous match, which is DiBiase's North American title and what happens next. Yeah, he does. And, you know, he talks about those possibilities. And I think that's a good if you look at the time on the episode when he starts mentioning this, it's right at the end. So he's basically plugging it, you know, to stay tuned. Coming in two weeks, man, we're going to see what's going to happen with the North American title. But because you got a match, it's I mean, let's face it. This match is not uh, tearing the house down. Uh, I will say this about this match, though, uh, before before you throw it to Watts, they actually had a finish. And I want to say that might be a first in the last few months as we, as we watch the end of an episode, because usually it just kind of ends and and uh, the bell rings and time out of TV time. We're out of here. You know, Boyd, Boyd takes us home. So we got to finish here. Like oh, you said. yeah. And it's a pretty interesting. It's like a delayed belly to back suplex where Jesse Barr picks him up and holds him in the air and just drops him on his head. And Watts even says, I think it was either Watts or Boyd that said, we're oh well, we're probably going to get to a time limit draw, and out of nowhere, you know, well, I don't say out of nowhere, but we don't get the time limit draw, which was different. So I, I, I like that, you know, change it up. Let's hear some audio from this match once again. Bill Watts talking about the situation with Ted DiBiase in the North American title. Two weeks North American title match, and Grizzly Smith says he's in a dilemma. Both Paul Orndorff and Bob Roop want the bout with Ted DiBiase. Might be interesting if he had Paul Orndorff and Bob Roop wrestle each other in the winter to meet Ted DiBiase. I'm sure Ted DiBiase would go for that, Boyd. That would really be something, Bill. I don't think they would. You know those guys that that, that uh, build a reputation by cheating and, and uh, two t- double-teaming people. Uh, they don't seem to want to face each other one-on-one. They kind of need each other's comfort. They always need somebody there to back up their skullduggery. About two minutes left on this match. Airtime. Jesse Ventura's carrying it to Jesse Barr. I'm sure everybody will tune in next week because Ted DiBiase, the North American champion, will be your guest commentator. Boy, he's a fine young man. I consider it a real privilege to have known him. and I knew his father, and 
and uh, I, his father was a great amateur and a great professional, and I'm sure whether his father had lived, and uh, he would have certainly been proud of that young man being the North American champion. And I'm sure uh, in that place where athletes that are fatally injured, critically injured go, that he's looking on right now and he's smiling down at his son for carrying on his footsteps in such a fine manner. You know, right there, it's so interesting, Mike. One of the things we've seen, something I think missing from modern wrestling, is the ability to humanize the wrestling stars. You know, now they're superstars. They're supposed to be bigger than life. But the junkyard dog's bigger than life in Mid-South. And what did we find out? His young daughter just had a medical issue with pneumonia. She was in the hospital. He had to miss a date. Ted DiBiase, the North American champion, his father was a wrestler who passed away, and Bill Watts knew him, and he would have been really proud of his son. It's those little things that just humanize these baby faces that make the fans care just a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I never really thought about it too much, but you're right, man. I don't know if you really see that much these days. I mean, you see it. I I just can't think of, you know, off the top of my head when you do. But, yeah, you, you got you to gotta make them human because at the end of the day, while they're stars – they're all you also want them to connect with the the common man i mean with the with with the audience and and you need that so if you can anything you can do to explain or help them connect to the audience is a positive and you know watts does a good job he does a good job of that just in general well with that mike another episode in the books a pretty good one a lot of cool things happening here and as we've been saying for a while, and now it's more apparent than ever before, things are being set up for a really bright future for Mid-South Wrestling, and 1982 is really going to heat up. Ernie Ladd's going to return to action soon. Dick Murdoch will be back soon, and a lot of new faces are going to be coming in. You're starting to see the changeover in talent here. Jesse Barr returns. Iron Mike Sharp is in. Carl Cox is in. Brian Blair, who had been on the show for a long time, I don't believe he appears on television again. I believe he finished up right around this time. Ed Wiskowski, who's been there for a little while, he finishes up. We're not going to see him anymore. So we're really starting to see the changeover in Mid-South Wrestling. And like I said, a lot of really new faces, including Dr. Death Steve Williams in the weeks ahead. Yeah, that's something, man. When you see when you see Dr. Death for the first time, you're like, oh, holy cow. When you see where he is when he first comes in to what he ends up being later on, years down the line, even a year down the line, just the, the changes you'll oh, yeah. see in him. It's incredible when you think of this guy because, I mean, when you watch his first match, as we'll see coming up, it's incredible how just how young and green he was and how he was. I don't want to say he was lost, but you could see he just needed a lot more seasoning. And he gets it in Mid-South and becomes a major star. And it's it's incredible to watch when he first comes in. But, yeah, man, we're going to go into 82, and we're almost a quarter of the way through 82 at this point, And things really start to pick up. There's some – I personally can't wait to as we wind down and get towards, like, November – because there's there's something that happens there that was probably my biggest first memory of Mid-South. And I'll say not first memory, but it was one of the memories that I go, oh, yeah, that the hook was already set. But this was the one that permanently just, you know, l- locked me into the promotion for years to come. So good stuff coming in Mid-South in 82 and then, of course, 83 and beyond. And I'm looking forward to it. And, of course, we'll be here to tell you about that as we begin to wrap things up. I can tell you that you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear the 605 Super Podcast each and every week at 605pod.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Just search for the 605 Super Podcast. You can get any 605 Super Podcast merchandise 
at tinyurl.com slash superpodstore. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash superpodcast. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you? You can stay in touch with me by going to Twitter. Follow me. I'm at Mike504Saints. The Book in the Territory Twitter feed is at BTT underscore podcast. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Booking the Territory. And the way to find Book in the Territory, the show, you can either go to tinyurl.com slash BTT pod, or you can search Booking the Territory, whether it's Podcast Attic, Tuned In Radio, Stitcher, um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. Just search Book in the Territory. You'll find us there. Two shows per week. One has a NWA. WCW Saturday night flavor to it. The other one is strictly Smoky Mountain Wrestling and that great promotion from the uh, early to mid 90s. And you'll enjoy our banter, myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner as we go through each and every episode of not only Saturday night, but uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It's a lot of fun. Come join us, and uh, we'd, we'd love to have you along for the ride. The Mid South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Until next time, for Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!